Well, good morning, everyone, wherever you are. I welcome you joining us from at home. While we're gathered, scattered during this time. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like there's two Susies inside of me. Like there's the 2 p.m. Susie that is strategizing and planning and being creative and right now organizing Zoom meetings and talking to people via Zoom. And then there is the 2 a.m. Susie. And the 2 a.m. Susie is, you know, full of worry and fear and anxiety. And at my worst moments, sometimes like the world is ending. It's like there are these two Susies inside of me. And sometimes I'm even tempted to think like, well, one of these must be my true self and the other must be like my false self. But lately, I have just been thinking perhaps a gentler approach with me would be more appropriate, would be more true. That both of these realities live inside of me, inside my mind and inside of my heart. That I am strong and resilient and also afraid. And I wonder if rather than glorifying one and and shaming the other, I wonder if these two parts of me might just kind of inform each other, speak to each other. Like I wonder if in the middle of the night, 2 a.m. Susie might remember the brave voice of 2 p.m. Susie. And if at 2 p.m. in the afternoon, when I'm feeling strong and resilient, I might also remember I'm vulnerable too. Easter this year, I told you all a story about a woman who went into a prison where she had served some time and she was speaking to the inmates there. And when she came in, she said to the inmate, she said, these clothes, these jumpsuits that you're wearing, that is not who you are. This is who you are. She put her hand on her heart. You know, this is who you are and it cannot be taken away. And then she said, you know, these these concrete walls of this prison, this is not where you live. Because this is where you live. And pointing to her mind, she said, it cannot be taken away. And then we added to that on Easter, and we said, you know, during this time of quarantine, social distancing, while many things have been canceled, love has not been canceled in a time of pandemic. Because this is how you love this is who we are, this is where we live, and this is how we love. And today, I want us to talk about loving God with all of our minds, because your mind is one of the most powerful things that God has given you. And I pray that during this time, more and more, we might feed our minds with good things, Fill them up with scripture and art and song and beauty and not get drunk on the 24-7 news spin within our minds. So to do that today, um, we're going to look at three things. You know, one time someone came up to Jesus and said these words, teacher, which commandment is the greatest in the law? And Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. What does it mean 
to love God with all our minds. What is your mind? How do you love God with all your mind? To explore that together, we're going to look at three things. An earthquake, two things, and what gratitude is not. So let's start with an earthquake. It was a little after 5 in the morning, 5.12 a.m. on Wednesday, April 18th, 1906, when a 7.9 magnitude earthquake hit San Francisco. Over 80% of that city was destroyed. Out of a population of about 410,000 people, 300,000 people were suddenly homeless. The infrastructure collapsed. There was total devastation. Fires erupted, causing even more devastation. And many of the displaced people fled across the bay to Oakland and to Berkeley, just in a desperate attempt to find food and shelter. And there was a particular little girl living in Oakland at the time with her family. Her name was Dorothy Day. She was nine years old as tens of thousands of refugees flooded into her town. And she watched with, a, with just total amazement as the people of her city lovingly welcomed all of these people with open arms. They gave what they had to those in need. They gave their food, their clothing, even their homes. They did all that they could to make sure everyone was cared for through the many weeks and months of devastation and displacement that followed. And that outpouring of love that outpouring of care, it struck Dorothy Day deeply. And it would go on to shape her own life in profound ways. She would wonder, why can't people care for one another this lovingly all the time? And as she grew into adulthood, she became convinced that the love and care that emerged out of that tragic event could actually become the new normal for society. She said, all we have to do is choose it. And so later in 1933, while she's living and working in New York City, she and a few others established the first House of Hospitality in the middle of the city where the homeless and the hungry and the forsaken would always be welcome. When Pope Francis spoke to Congress a few years ago, he said there were, he kind of made reference to four great Americans. Who were they? Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King Jr., Thomas Merton, and Dorothy Day. When Dorothy Day died, there were 30 houses of hospitality when she died in 1980. Today, there are more than 200 communities like this around the United States and around the world. These places continue to offer that same 
open-handedness, open-armed love and care for people in need, that same sort of love that Dorothy first witnessed as a child in the wake of the San Francisco earthquake. And many people believe we are in the middle of a similar kind of seminal moment right now in history because of the COVID-19 pandemic. And the question that raises is how will this shape the minds of our children? How will this moment shape our own minds? What visions are being born in little minds right now, today? What great movements will be born from this moment that we're living in? And I believe the answer to that, in part, is how we steward this incredible thing that God's given us, our minds. What happens in our minds right now? Our minds are one of the most powerful things God's given us. Just think about that. In San Francisco, with the earthquake, 300,000 people endured the same exact earthquake that Dorothy Day did. But many of them came out the other side more afraid, more self-protective, more self-obsessed, more bitter, more angry. The difference has so much to do with what we allow our minds to focus on during this time. In this pandemic, there is a real battle being waged for your mind. And in the midst of times like this, as we face our own thoughts and all the ideas of other people, how should we think? How should we just navigate our own headspace as we live in a world that seems to be turned upside down sometimes? This feeling is not new to the world. In the ancient scriptures, the psalmist said this, I would have lost heart. Ever feel that way? I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I would have lost heart, the psalmist says. And sometimes we do. At 2 a.m. maybe. It is a real battle being waged within our minds. So let's just talk briefly about two things. What does it mean to love God with all our minds right now? Two things. It means thinking clearly and thinking rightly. Like first, we must think clearly. Although we're living in confusing times for sure, we're not called to live in confusion, but to think clearly. The scriptures say, for God is not a God of confusion but of peace. Confusion in our minds and in our worship doesn't reflect the character of the creator. It robs us of our ability to enjoy God and worship him. God doesn't want us to be confused. I mean, to the extent that we are able, God wants us to be clear-headed and focused on him. In a book that's, that's simply called Think, The Life of the Mind and the Love of God, 
John Piper says this, our thinking should be wholly engaged to do all it can to awaken and express the heartfelt fullness of what? Treasuring God above all things. What does it mean to treasure God above all things? The second way that we love God with all our minds, as Jesus said, is to think rightly. Not only are Christ followers called to think clearly, but we're, we're called to think rightly about the world. We can't just think our way out of questions and doubts and fears. We actually have to you know, listen and pray and worship our way through. The Apostle Paul put it this way, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect. It has become incredibly hard in a time of social distancing, but we need community in order to think rightly. When, when Paul says here, when he uses that word transformed, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, transformed, he's using a plural verb there. It's plural tense. In other words, we're changed by God as we think about him in community with others. Like we need to hear the God thoughts of others, the gospel thoughts of others. We need to share those same God thoughts with others. So we need to do the work of maintaining and growing community even as we're social distancing. You know, this week I heard about a group within our church that is basically five of them on a text thread together. They are worshiping together. And so when worship begins, are you there? Are you there? Are you there? All five of them together. And they're commenting to each other throughout the service and after the service and connecting. That to me is a picture of maintaining and growing community in the midst of social distancing. And then third, let's talk for a minute about what gratitude is not, because gratitude is a huge piece of renewing our minds. But let's talk about what gratitude is not. I've noticed that sometimes Christ followers will think that loving God with all our minds means like, dismissing or just ignoring reality. And I will hear this even coming out of myself sometimes, like when I'll say something is hard, and, and I'll kind of say it like this, like, yeah, homeschooling's really hard, but at least nobody's sick. Sometimes we'll do this to each other, like someone is diagnosed with something, you know, a diagnosis of cancer comes in, and it's like, oh, that's really sad, but at least she doesn't have stage four. Almost as if, like, there's this math. Like, if I tack on a gratitude, somehow it's going to, like, 
negate the negative. That's actually not how gratitude works. It's not the role of gratitude. It's not the purpose of it. The more I walk with people in pain, the more that I look into the face of our suffering Savior, the, the more I, I guess I just lose my appetite for the messages of the prosperity gospel. Because part of loving God with our minds is living in what is real. In living in what is real and what is true. Living in reality. The reality is sometimes there is not enough. For many people in the world, there simply is not enough. May not be enough food. May not be enough resource may not be enough money or connection. There are limits to resources. And we are finite creatures. The only one who is infinite is God. Sometimes I will hear you know, people of privilege talking about this mindset of abundance versus scarcity, and there may be a place for that conversation, certainly, but often it goes like this. Um, we just need to have a mindset of abundance, not a mindset of scarcity, as if, if you have a mindset of abundance, all abundance will come to you. It's a bit of a, like, like name it, believe it enough, and then you can claim it for you, as if there are no finite resources. But reality is... Sometimes there is not enough. And even right there, God is present. God is present when my reality is there is not enough resource. So what does that look like? See, the Christian story says something quite different than the messages of our positivity culture. There are times when there is not enough, and God is there too. So the job of gratitude is not to cancel out reality. It is not to cancel out the reality that perhaps there isn't enough. That is still true. Those things, like on the negative column of life, they may not change. What gratitude does and why it's so important, why it is such a key to loving God with all our minds is it seeks to fill up the plus column. And here's the thing. You can fill up the plus column while still acknowledging the negatives. It does not have to be an either or. It can be a both and. Filling up the plus column is a way in which we worship. And for me, more and more, it's like noticing and becoming aware of these little small things. Like no matter my circumstances, there goes the sun, it keeps rising. No matter what I'm facing right now, there go the birds, they're still singing. There go the buds on my tree. They're popping out again in that ever so vibrant lime green. I just stare at that all day. There goes the sun. 
setting again. Here comes the moon. It's rising. Here comes my son saying like, Mommy, will you snuggle with me on the couch? To fill ourselves up in noticing these small things does not, it's not a math. It's not like it cancels out the reality that there are hard things. Those things are still there. But it does give our minds a place to focus in the midst of whatever we may be facing. So where do we dwell in our minds? As you feel darkness closing in on you, as your 2 a.m. self whispers fear in your ear, as you face struggles and challenges as a result of this pandemic and its effects, may you look again and again to this truth. We can dwell on the fact that the most important things have not changed. We can dwell on the fact that God is still our hope. And it is, it's a work of the mind to hope. In Colossians, we read this, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. To hope is to set our minds on something, namely Jesus. To set our minds on Christ because Christ is risen and the life of his followers is hidden in him. He has become our life. Andy Crouch says it like this, real Christian hope is our ultimate confidence rooted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead that the creator of the world is also the redeemer and sustainer of the world and will one day return to renew the entire creation. Dorothy Day used to say, she, she wrote a little poem called, What Can One Person Do? What can one person do? Be present to the moment, pray, and trust that it is God who can take those loaves and fishes and multiply them. Let's pray together as we close. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.